God's grace is absolutely amazing. So one day, out on a dry, dusty prairie, there was a prairie chicken. And the prairie chicken came across an egg, and so she sat on the egg until it hatched. And unbeknownst to this prairie chicken, this egg happened to be an eagle egg that had been lost by a mama eagle. And so that is how the baby eagle became part of a family of prairie chickens. Now, we all admire eagles. They're the most majestic of the birds. They fly through the air. They soar. They dip. They're beautiful. Whereas the prairie chicken, a prairie chicken, most of them can hardly, they can hardly fly at all. They can't fly much better than an old pig. You know, they're plump. They got tiny little stubby wings. And man, no matter how hard they flap, they can barely get off the ground and not for even very long at all. And so they spend most of their life just sort of pecking across the ground, looking for grubs and garbage. And so as you can probably imagine, predictably, this little eagle growing up in a family of prairie chickens, well, it thought he was a prairie chicken. (laughs) And so he'd walk about and he'd peck the ground and eat garbage all the time. Until one day, the eagle looked up in the sky And he saw a beautiful bald eagle flying, soaring, dipping, diving. And he said to his family, hey, what's that? And they said, well, that's an eagle. But you'll never be like that because you're a prairie chicken. (laughs) So they all went back to pecking the garbage on the ground. And that little eagle spent most of his life looking up in the sky, wondering what it would be like to fly and soar like that. And it never occurred to him to just open his wings and begin to fly himself. And so for his whole life, and even to his death, he was nothing other than an old prairie chicken. You see, from the time he was hatched, he was never quite what he was cracked up to be. Silly little story, right? But it's sort of like a parable because it has a very powerful life lesson in it. And that's this. That who we think we are, our own identity has a lot to do with who we become in life. I believe that, don't you? I've seen it. And you know, if you ask most people who they are, their really first response is to tell you more about what they do than who they are. Who am I? Oh, Well, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, I'm an artist, I'm a mom. But what happens when your external circumstances change? You know, several years ago, um, I was at a church in Southern California, and the economy tanked right after 9-11, and I was laid off. And I'm telling you, that messed with my head. I mean, I went through a total identity crisis. I mean, I sat there and I thought, well, I'm no longer a pastor What am I? I'm unemployed. I felt like I had absolutely no value at all. And I was just incredibly lost. It took me a while to kind of finally figure out that I was basing who I was in my identity in what I did rather than who I was. It took a while. You see, in our R12 series, we've been talking about how real spirituality is is Jesus' life living in us. And we've talked about these five key relationships that help us become uh, Romans 12 followers of Jesus. And 
you know, Pastor Ron shared with us about how our first relationship is with God, and Dave mentioned this again, that that comes from an attitude of surrender. And then last week we talked about culture and the influence of culture and how we need to separate ourselves from culture's influence. And now today we're going to talk about our relationship with ourself. And it's so important because as we've already talked about, that really can determine the course of our life and what we end up becoming. So I'm going to encourage you to grab the message notes that are in your program there. And uh, we're going to start to begin here. And I want to start with three big questions that I think that we ask ourselves in life. These are three things that either consciously or unconsciously, I honestly think that we think about. And the first one is this. It's the question of who am I? Who am I? And that has to do with the question of identity. Identity. This has to do with how we think about ourselves and, and how we present ourselves to the world. And our identity can shaped by many different things. It can be shaped by the world around us, the family we grew up in, even our neighborhood or things that we've seen or heard. Many things can influence our identity. The second question is, where do I belong? And that has to do with the whole idea, the question of security. Security. You know, we, we need to belong because we want to have this sense that we're not just alone. We, we want the security of being known and accepted and loved. The third question that we ask ourselves is the whole idea of what am I supposed to do? And that's the question of significance. We all want to know that we're not just taking up space, you know, like an old letterman's jacket at the back of the closet. We want our lives to matter. We want it to have some significance. And these are all very important life questions. But you know what? If you really think about it, I think sometimes it's puzzling to finally get really good answers to these questions. And I want to tell you why I think that's so. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis. And if you don't have a Bible, um, don't worry about that. The key verses will be up here on the screen, and you can follow along. And again, as, as, uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, I want to encourage you on your way out today. There's bookcases out here with Bibles. You can just take one home with you. That would be our gift for you. All right, so let's look at Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 8 to 13. The picture of this is God created man and woman. He supplied all of their needs. They're in fellowship with him. You know, we kind of get the idea that on a regular basis, God enters the garden. He's walking in the garden with them. And then something happens, and it changes everything. Verse 8. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And what we're reading here is the beginning of what's known as the fall of mankind. The fall of mankind. See, God created man and woman, this loving God. He gave them everything that they needed. 
but he gave them a prohibition to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they rejected that. They rebelled, and they disobeyed. And you see, the consequences of that were incredibly devastating. There are consequences that we live with today as well. In fact, you know, the biggest consequence of all of this is that sin entered into the very nature of mankind. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind. Adam and Eve's rebellion forever altered the way that we relate to God and the way we relate to each other and even the way that we relate to ourselves. You see, there in verse 10, Adam said that when he heard God approaching, he was afraid because he was naked. You see, being naked caused us to be vulnerable, at least for most of us, I think. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever uh, been to the hypnotist show at the fair. <laughs> it's actually my favorite thing to do when we go to the fair. And uh, so the guy gets up there, he's got people on stage, and he, has them, he tells them, okay, you're all at a disco. And so they all get up there and dancing like John Travolta, having a good time. It's so funny. It's, this is the one time of the year that my internal organs actually get an aerobic workout because I laugh so hard. And they're up there dancing. And he says, okay, when I snap my fingers, you're all going to realize that you're naked. And so they're up there and he goes, and all of a sudden, you know, most of the folks, they, they're hiding behind chairs, they're covering themselves, they're shrinking back, but there's always at least one person, you know, that's up there that are like dancing away like I'm naked and unashamed, you know? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Some people are just like that. <laughs> but see, for Adam and Eve, it wasn't just a matter of the fact that they didn't have clothes on. You see, they felt exposed at the deepest, darkest level. You see, when they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, their eyes were opened to sin and their hearts were strangled with guilt. They sensed the foreboding presence of spiritual death and the severe severing of their connection with God. And just came upon them these feelings of alienation and disconnection from God. And they felt fear which is rooted in shame. Fear, which is rooted in shame. And you know, fear and shame, they affect us as well. Every day. Most of us feel that if people were truly exposed to the deepest, darkest part of us, you know, the real deep part that we hide all of our struggles, everything that we've ever thought, all the things that we've done, I think most of us would think that we would be rejected. And so, you know, even the fact that if we were to look at our own self, you know, we don't even like what we see when we look deeply inside of us and it causes us to hide. And so the second hindrance is this. It's hiding, which is rooted in insecurity. Hiding, which is rooted in insecurity. Back in Genesis 3.10, it said that Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. And they hid because they lost the security of their relationship with God. You know, they didn't know where they stood with him. And they were so fearful that they were going to be rejected. See, our own sense of inadequacy and rejection caused us to hide from each other. 
you know, we have a tendency to, to try to manage our image, you know, and so we kind of put up what we call almost like a personality hologram, <laughs> and we want to be accepted by people, and so we kind of project this image that is a little more acceptable and likable to people. The problem is that even when people, you know, fall in love with that hologram, we don't ever, are not able to accept and, 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 and invite that love into us deeply, because we know that that's not all of us. It's not who we really are. And so we kind of wander around with this subtle sense of insecurity. Another result that we see in Genesis 3.12 is that when Adam and Eve are confronted with their sin, <laughs> they refuse to embrace it and own it, and instead they just deflect it, and they blame each other, and they blame the serpent. And even, I don't know if you noticed that, they even blame God. And so the third result is blame, which is rooted in denial. Blame, which is rooted in denial. Guilt and shame are so painful for us, you know, that we just want to deflect them like Wonder Woman's golden bracelets. You remember Wonder Woman? <laughs> it's like, it's not my fault, you know? He did it. She did it. The serpent did it, you know? It's not me. It's my family. It's the government. It's what I ate last night. I had too many Twinkies. <laughs> push it all away. <laughs> all of this denial, though, what it does, it just creates distance. So much distance between one another and with God. The fall, really what it did is it marred our relationship with God and with one another and with ourself. And all of this has a huge effect on how we answer God's deep questions of life. The biggest questions. See, our identity and our purpose and our value are, are wounded. But you know what? God wants to heal us. And he wants to restore us. And he wants to tell you who you really are. And that's what we find in Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. And I want to say this for those of you who are just checking out the Christian faith, and I'm glad that you're here, because I think if you listen carefully to God's messages through these questions, that you might find something that puts some pieces together for you. The first question he answers is this, who are you? Who are you? And he tells us in verse 3, and as Dave mentioned before, this is our memory verse, or Ron actually mentioned it. It's Romans 12, 3, and I want you to read it. We're going to read it again together so we can begin to get this down, all right? So here it is on the screen. Let's read it together. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So God's telling us to think of ourselves in terms of reality. You know, a sober judgment is exactly kind of what you're thinking there. It's not being drunk or under the influence of culture, not under the influence of our own pride, but with a clear, sober head. You know, some people like to hide their insecurities by puffing themselves up. You know, they, they try to impress you with their fancy words and their fancy clothes and their fancy car and their fancy job. They're so fancy. <laughs> but the problem is when we start thinking that we're above everybody else, we start looking down on everyone. And no one likes to be looked down upon. You know, we avoid people like that. And just as, as common as there are people who look down on others, there are also people who look down on themselves. And they just tend to demean themselves and, and cave in. And their words and language say, I'm no good. I have nothing to offer anybody. 
I'm a failure. And this comes from a place of hurt. But hear me, that's not what God wants for us either. You see, whether you think you're too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself, ultimately, what are you thinking about? Yourself, right? (laughs) And see, true humility isn't focused on self, but on what's been done for us. And so that's why God gives us this command. And the command is this, to think accurately about yourself, to think accurately by yourself. See, God wants us to think about ourselves biblically and according to our faith and according to our position in Christ. And that includes everything that Paul told us about ourselves in the whole first 11 chapters of Romans. The things that Dave uh, went over with us when we were there in our worship moment. The idea that, yes, we were dead in sin, but that Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And that we are cleansed and clean and we've been adopted into God's family and we are his and his seal of approval and ownership is on us. And there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing, absolutely nothing. We are his and death and sin have no victory over us and we have the hope of heaven and eternal life forever with God. And that is very good news. Yeah, amen. (laughs) And that's the God-given identity of those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And it's as solid as God's promises, which are based on the very character of God. And so it's so important that you know and understand who you really are. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know where you belong. And that's our next point. Where do you belong? Where do you belong? There have been a lot of recent studies about, you know, about American culture, and they all seem to be coming to the same conclusion, and that's this, that we have an epidemic of loneliness in our culture. You know, people want to belong. Belong is this legitimate need that God places in our hearts. We're meant to be connected. And, you know, we have all of these new ad- advancements in, in technology and just the rapid pace of life, and people are moving to and fro, and we're just bombarded with all kinds of ways that we can entertain ourselves, that we've, man, we're just becoming more and more isolated and more lonely than ever before. But God wants you to know that you belong. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, whereas in one body, we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That very first word there, the word for, it's a little Greek preposition and it means reason. See, Paul's telling us the reason that we need to know who we are. And he gives us this example. It's the example of the body. He wants us to understand it. So he gives us a really concrete example. He says, you know what? Your body's composed of many different parts each of them working together with a different function, all coming together to work together for good. And he says, you, people, the body of Christ, belonging to my church, I have made you individually members of one another, each with a different function, that when you come together under the Spirit of God, united by that, we function together as one. It's a beautiful picture. You see, your body, it needs your heart. Your body needs your brain. (laughs) Hard to function without a brain. Your body needs your hands. And some of you in God's church, why you're like the brain. 
You know, you're smart and you're thinkers and, and you're needed. We need you to think and strategize. Some of you are the heart, you're the feelers, you're the compassionate ones, the caring ones. Some of you are the hands and you're the doers and you get things done. And some of you out there, we don't know what you are. <laughs> I mean, you're like the appendix. We're not quite sure what you do, but you belong to the body and we just hope that you don't explode. Um, <laughs> I had that happen to me. It was pretty ugly. Don't want to go through that again. <laughs> all of us have these strengths and weaknesses. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of times what we try to do, the temptation is, is to, to, you know, to focus on our strengths and to hide our weaknesses. But you see, both of them are needed, our strengths and our weaknesses, because they're meant to benefit one another. You know, one of the ways that I see this all the time uh, is in my marriage. Uh, my wife, Terry, she's over here on the side. She and I have a kind of untypical marriage. You know, typically uh, the man is the thinker and the woman is the feeler. <laughs> well, in my house, you know, whenever we watch one of these uh, tearjerker movies, well, I'm the one that honestly is just bawling my eyes out. And Terry, she just smiles and she hands me a box of tissues, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when we make decisions together, uh, you know, I tend to want to make those decisions based on feelings and relationships. You know, she brings the logic into the equation, you know, and helps us think through it very thoroughly. Kind of feeling like a pansy right now. <laughs> um, sometimes we really drive each other crazy, you know. But what's beautiful about this is that when we're willing to learn from one another and accept these differences that we have, we actually make quite a team. You know, and so here's a bold statement I want to make, and I want you to hear this in the, in the spirit that it's intended, okay? If you're not in community, you're not really living in the way that God designed you to be. You know, it's kind of like a liver living outside of the body. It's like a liver sitting in a seat. Poor little liver. You know, it, it needs to be connected to the body to thrive. You have strengths and things to offer others. God's gifted you to do that. And you also have weaknesses and you have hurts that God has gifted other people in the body of Christ to help you with. And they would be blessed to do it. But some of you are in isolation. I really like this quote from Chip Ingram, and it's in that book, True Spirituality, that many of you have grabbed from the bookstore or from your group that we're reading together. And it says this. Chip says, if you think too highly of yourself, you will not see your need for other people. And if you think too lowly of yourself, you're not going to feel worthy to be loved by other people in the body of Christ. But if you think accurately about yourself, you'll be a perfect candidate not only to receive love, but also to give it the way that God designed. And so there's a really big reason that God wants to know, that he wants you to know where you belong. And that's this. The reason is that you have a role to fulfill. You have a role to fulfill. I think we know from experience that sin, it creates isolation and it creates hiding and denial. And see, God places us in the body of Christ to do his work in us and also through us. And we are healed and made whole when we're deeply accepted and known and loved in community. God does that work. Now, we have to be honest, there's a lot of ugly that happens in community. I mean, we know that's true. It's kind of like the cocoon 
that we looked at last week when, when Ron showed us that. You know, we walk into to community like a bunch of worms, you know. And even the whole transformation part is not that pretty, to be honest with you. But if we hang in there and wiggle our way through it, God begins to transform us and make something completely new and beautiful. God made us to be a common unity. It's the way he designed his church. It's where the family of God find community. And that's where we find our deepest security and our needs for deepest security. When we're connected to God, we're connected to one another, we're deeply known, and we're deeply loved. So the other question that God wants to answer for us is that, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And so this question, it takes issue, uh, it aims right at our issue of significance. You know, what makes life meaningful? You know, what is our true purpose? What are we here on the earth for? What's the mission that we need to accomplish? And so Romans 12, 6 to 8 says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith is service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And you see, the point of this passage of what Paul's talking about here, it's a great list of gifts, but it's not even all of the gifts. And so the point isn't necessarily what the gifts are and even what they do. He talks about that in other places. But what he's talking about here is, that, hey, if you're gifted to teach, go teach. If you're gifted to give, then give to your heart's content. If you're a leader, go do it. You know, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul tells us that before the foundations of the world, that God chose you for a very special work. There's something that he wants you to do. And so this isn't so much about vocation as it is about stewardship and purpose. And the real issue is to discover what is that spiritual gift that God's given you and then use it to do the work that he's designed for you to do. And so your practice is to discover and deploy your spiritual gift. Discover and deploy your spiritual gift. In the verses that we just read, it seems that God is it's a call to prioritize our time and our efforts and, and our resources to put effort into the gifts that he's given us. You know, we give gifts to people that we love and care about. That's the way we express our affection. And God loves you so much, he wants to validate your significance by giving you a gift and giving you meaning and purpose, a calling, because he loves you. Using the gifts that God's given you is the key to finding the place where you belong, doing the things that you love, and making the impact that you were designed to make. (laughs) It's just far too many people, you know, that, that we all fall into this. Where we go through the motions and the, and, the, and the duties of life, you know, the things that we're supposed to be doing is day in and doing, day in and doing the same thing over and over again. You know, we have to do this, we got to do this. And then 10, 20, 30, 40 years later, we stop and we look back and we think, what was my life about? And we never ask these deep questions of life that have meaning. And I think it's worth pausing and really thinking about. And so for some of you, I really encourage you to think deeply 
about who you are in your identity in Christ. Some of us, life's been rough. And this issue of identity has really wrecked us. I encourage you to study and look at verses and memorize and pray and ask God about it. You need to be grounded in who you are in Christ. And some of you, you need to get into community. You know, if you look around for excuses, you're going to find a million, but you just need to do it. And maybe a way to motivate yourself is just to sit down and consider what are your three greatest strengths and how might those benefit other people if you were in community? And what are your three greatest weaknesses? And what might God do if you were connected to others where they could help you with that? Some of you need to discover and deploy your spiritual gift, the gift that God's given you, and figure that out. Because it really is where the key to unlocking a significant life is. And maybe you just need to reprioritize your time so that you have your best time and energy and effort to give to that. And last thought, I just want you to remember this, that God uniquely created you. And you have eternal value. And that God adopted you into his family and that you belong And you are unconditionally loved and accepted. Last, God gifted you to fulfill his purpose. And you have irreplaceable significance. Let's pray. Hmm. Lord God, we just thank you for the truths of your word. And I'm reminded of the parable, God, where you said the sower seeded threw seeds out, and some of them were trampled by the cares of the world. Some were choked out by weeds. But if it was seed in good soil, that it soaked and produced a harvest. So God, I just pray that you help our hearts to be good soil, that we receive what you've said from your word and be reminded who we are, reminded where we belong, and God, have a vision for the purpose and meaning of our life to honor you. God, do that great work. And God, if there are those here today who've wandered through life and even come here desperately looking for answers of what is life all about, I pray, Father, that your word is stirred in their heart, that there's new meaning and hope. As they surrender their life to you and trust you, that, God, something new and beautiful could happen and they could soar like an eagle and be the person they were created by you to be. In Jesus' name, amen.